if you've lived in the Richmond area for any length of time, you know there's no shortage of festivals to attend. I did a quick search on the web this past week as I was preparing for today, and just just real quickly found uh, 54 festivals just in the Richmond area that were listed. And I didn't start to dig into Chesterfield County and Henrico County and Hanover County and, and whatnot. We are a festive people. One of the most well-known is the Greek festival that starts later on this week. There's arts in the park. There's the Jewish food festival, Easter on parade on Monument Avenue, which we love to go to. The Lebanese food festival, the Ashland Strawberry Fair, the Richmond Folk Festival, which is a lot of fun, the Hanover Tomato Festival, the Filipino Festival, the Chester Festival, the Brunswick Stew Festival. Don't you think Richmonders like to eat? Indeed they do. And the, the last one I'll mention I have not been to but would love to go is the Richmond Bacon Festival. And my wife doesn't eat bacon, so I would, I would have to get somebody to eat bacon ice cream with me if I were to go. I could go on and on, but festivals celebrate things like our heritage, our history, our harvests, and the food, and the music, and the dancing, and the art reflect our culture and our communities. In the Bible, there were a number of festivals that the Jewish people attended and recognized throughout the year. There were three great festivals, though, that every male Jew within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem was required to attend, the Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Today, our focus is Pentecost because the birthday of the church actually occurred around the festival of the Pentecost. Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50th, or the first day after the 49-day period after the Passover, hence the 50th day. For Jewish people, Pentecost also signifies the celebration of the giving of the law to Moses by the Lord. In the tr Christian tradition, Pentecost ends the season of Easter and marks a time when the church carries forward the ministries it has received from the Holy Spirit. Our liturgical colors, as you can see, are red today as opposed to white during the season of Easter. For Christians, it's a festive day because it is when we celebrate the birthday of the church, the pouring out of the Spirit, filling the early believers and forming the church and empowering them to go out into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. So if somebody were to say to you, what's Pentecost? Very easily you could say it's the birthday of the church. If you're taking notes, it's there in your notes. It's the birthday of the church when believers receive the power of the Holy Spirit as is recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The book of Acts is the history book of the church written by Luke, also the author of the Gospel of Luke. As we talk about Pentecost and the pouring of the Holy Spirit, the people being filled by the Spirit, we do want to address who is the Holy Spirit. We must not miss this, that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our God has always been three in one, one in three. As my professor, Dr. John Edens in seminary used to say, unity in the midst 
of diversity. Unity in the midst of diversity. If some of you knew Dr. Eddins, I'm sure you heard him say that. There has never been a time when the Holy Spirit was not God and God not the Holy Spirit. John, 20, John 4.24 says, God is spirit. While the power of the Holy Spirit filled the believers at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God any time. It wasn't a punctiliar event that just happened and was done with. The Holy Spirit has always been the power and presence and the work of God ever since God has revealed God's self to us. God has always been spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us today. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the early disciples to be the church. Renowned Baptist scholar, now with the Lord, Frank Stagg, wrote, the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, not the Spirit of the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God in nearness and power, anywhere and anytime. The very divine presence incarnated in Christ Jesus, now present in people. And he writes, the Holy Spirit is not a third God, nor a one-third of a God. The Spirit is God relating to us in creation, judgment, guidance, strength, redemption, and otherwise. And I think those are marvelous words Dr. Stagg has written. I got to meet him back when I was in seminary, and I'll always remember that time. One other theologian, Hans Kuhn, says it this way about the, the Spirit. Quote, the Spirit is the earthly presence of the glorified Lord. In the Spirit, Christ becomes Lord of His church. And in the Spirit, the resurrected Lord acts both in the community and in the, the individual. So the Spirit acts in the community as we are His gathered people, and the Holy Spirit also works in us as individual believers, empowering us to do the work of God. What did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? A few verses. Jesus promised his followers that he would never leave them. He said, I will not be, leave you as orphans. I will come to you, John 14, 18. And then in verse 12 of chapter 14, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Can you imagine doing greater things than Jesus did? I mean, to me, that's beyond understanding. But I think he's helping the disciples to see that when the Holy Spirit indwells the believer and believers go all over the world, the work of God is happening simultaneously all over the globe as opposed to in one specific place. So Jesus says, you will do greater things than what you've seen me do. And I just think that's amazing. That you and I have the opportunity to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 16 of, of, of that same chapter 14, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. The advocate is another way of um, na another name for the Holy Spirit. To help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus gives us the promise that the Spirit will be with us and will be in us. When Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection, before he ascended, 
I will be with you always until the very end of the age. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit's presence that would come to be with them. Jesus tells us the role of the Holy Spirit in John 16. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Have you ever been about to make a really bad decision and then this little small voice says, oh, no, no, you better not. For the believer, that's the Holy Spirit convicting us. Or have you ever just felt horrible after you know you messed up? I'm raising my hand. You don't have to raise yours, but, you, you know, that's the Holy Spirit convicting us. And I stand before God and I say, okay, God, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Help me not to go there again. The Holy Spirit also guides us in truth, helps us to be focused on truth. And Jesus said, I am the truth. So the Holy Spirit helps us to keep focused on Jesus. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through prayer, through the Bible, through our circumstances, through the church, through other people. And the Holy Spirit helps us to glorify God, to give God the glory for everything that we do. So at Pentecost, the Spirit of God became flesh and empowered the believers to become the living body of Christ to bring the good news to every tribe and every nation. This was their mission. And that mission has not changed. That is our mission too. So if we think about our mission, it's helpful to look at the disciples, those early believers, and how did they prepare for their mission? How did they prepare prepare themselves for what God was getting ready to do among them? If you're taking notes today, first, they waited. And I have a hard time waiting. But they waited. They waited according to Jesus' word. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They waited. They took time, and they waited, like Jesus said. And they prayed. Second, they prayed. They prayed constantly, not just a little bit. The scripture says they joined together constantly in prayer. Acts 1.14. They, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They joined constantly in prayer. It was an ongoing prayer meeting as they anticipated what was going to happen next. I believe that the church today can learn from those early disciples who just prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. Sometimes prayer is listening to God. Sometimes it's asking God for something, but they prayed constantly. And as they prayed, they sought out that next leader who would replace Judas so that the 12 disciples would be intact. That means that they prepared for their mission. 
they took some steps necessary to make sure that leadership was in place. In other words, they did a little business for the church. And that came after a season of a time of waiting and fervent, continual prayer. And then they made a decision. How often in the church, I can't speak for you, but how often have I jumped ahead of God? How often have I just made a decision without waiting on the Lord and without taking it to to the Lord in prayer? And I've just done it and sometimes look back and it didn't really work out like I had anticipated or hoped. That's because I didn't wait on the Lord and I didn't pray in anticipation. So often church, when we have a, a business kind of decision to make, it's good that we wait on God and that we pray and then we enact and act on that decision. Here's what happened. They had to replace Judas. And in Acts 1, 24 through 26, it says, Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of the two you've chosen. Show us which person is to step up into this leadership position to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belonged. In verse 26, they cast lots, which was a sort of a, a way of making a decision back then. And the Holy Spirit in it, the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So they, they waited, they prayed, they made a decision, a leadership decision, and then they began to experience God's Holy Spirit working through them as they declared the wonders of God. They declared the stories of God, the amazing miracles of God. That's recorded in Acts chapter 2 now, verses 1 through 4, which you heard just a little earlier. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And many scholars believe that the word house there is referring to the temple area, either the courts or in the temple in some place. The, the Holy Spirit sounded like a violent wind coming from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And these tongues were not gibberish as you heard earlier in the children's message. These tongues were in the languages, the native languages of those Jews who had come from far away to dwell there and spoke other languages and were from other backgrounds. This happened as the Holy Spirit enabled disciples to speak. And they announced the wonders of God. Here it says in verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs among the 15 people uh, Uh, nationalities that are listed there in the chapter, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. It would be as if you and I were gathered in a place and we only speak English and we were in a foreign land where there was not English spoken and the Holy Spirit gave a follower of Jesus the ability to speak in English sporadically. They wouldn't have had any training or background that God simply allowed that to happen so that we would be able to understand. It's different from the speaking in tongues that Paul talks about where there needs to be an interpreter. This is God speaking through a person, 
a message that some other people needed to hear in their own language. And it's that that the gospel message could be communicated to people who could understand it. And what were the wonders of God they were sharing? I believe these would have been the stories that you and I love about the Old Testament and the New Testament. I imagine that the uh, followers of Jesus started to, to share stories. Maybe they talked about Noah and how miraculously God enabled him to build an ark and then the flood came. Or, or maybe it was about how God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and Moses led them through the Red Sea on dry ground and they emerged to the other side. Maybe they were telling the stories of how God provided manna from heaven and water from a rock and quail from the sky so that they would have bread to eat and water to drink and meat to eat during their wanderings in the wilderness. Maybe the story of going across the sea, the Jordan River, into the land of promise. Maybe what they saw when they got there. Maybe some of of Elisha's miracles as he, through the power of God, multiplied oil for a widow who needed to feed her son. Or maybe in the New Testament, maybe they told the story of how the disciples were on a boat, Jesus was asleep and the storm came up, and Jesus rebuked the storm and calmed the sea. He's Lord over even nature. Or maybe they told the story of how Jesus fed the multitudes with just five loaves of bread and two fishes, or how he walked on the water, or how a woman who had been suffering with a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the hem of his garment, and power came through him, and he stopped, and he turned around, and he ministered to her and healed her. Or maybe some of the other stories that you're familiar with throughout the gospel, some of the miracles and the healings, Maybe they talked about how Lazarus had died and how Jesus showed up late and how everybody was so sad and and discouraged. And then Jesus called Lazarus to come out and he stood up and came out of the grave. And they said, Jesus said, take his grave clothes off and he was free. And the man who was dead is now alive again. I could go on and on. But I imagine that the believers were sharing some of these wonders of God. And we would do well if we did the same thing. Never lose your zeal for the wonders of God. And the people heard the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the midst of that. After all of this happened, some of the naysayers accused them of being drunk. But Peter in Acts 2.14 and following refuted that. And he said, they're not drunk. Let me explain to you carefully. It's only nine in the morning. And uh, in the Jewish festival time, there would have been fasting and not anything eaten or drunk by 10 o'clock. So he's saying, this would not be. Peter set the record straight and helped them to see that this was an act of God at work through the people to communicate in languages that they did not know. It was truly a wonder of God. So when you and I are talking about wonders of God, we could add the one that happened at Pentecost. Some scholars believe that this work of God is the reversal of the judgment of the Tower of Babel. You go back to Genesis 11 and you can read that account. God's judgment scattered the people, but God's blessing at Pentecost united the believers in spirit 
At Babel, the people were unable to understand each other. But at Pentecost, they heard God's praises and understood what he said. The Tower of Babel was a scheme designed to praise men and to make a name for men. But Pentecost brought praise to God. The building of Babel was an act of rebellion, but Pentecost was a ministry of humble submission to God. The emphasis on the entire book of Acts is the birth and expansion of the church and the mission to reach the entire world with the message of the gospel in humble submission to God. And after this, the believers became a community. Acts chapter 2, 42 and following tells us what happened next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. The wonders continued to happen. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared everything. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They became a community. The community that we celebrate here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church is the same kind of community at Pentecost. We are joined together by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of truth. And we are continually called to do His good work here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What's this mean for us? What does it mean for us in North Chesterfield County in metropolitan Richmond, Virginia? It means the world has come to us. Just look around. Have you been to the food court at Chesterfield Town Center lately? At a time where everybody's assembled? Have you seen the people from all ends of the earth gathered there to eat? The world has come to us. Yes, we are still to do global missions and to go on mission for God to other places, but we are also to look right around us because the world has come here. I read an article as I was going through the interview process with this church, and the article's in the Richmond Times-Dispatch, and part of it said, Chesterfield has seen its minority population increase from 33% in 2003 to nearly 46% in 2013-2014 school year. From 33% to nearly 50% in about a decade. Another article I read in the Chesterfield Observer, it says, our county is becoming more and more culturally and ethnically diverse. Trends are clearly reflected in the school system's enrollment figures, which show that as the current school year, less than half of the enrollment in 24 of the county's 61 schools are white non-Hispanic students, up from 16 out of 58 schools a decade prior. If the average rates of change during the past 10 years continue, the school system as a whole 
will become minority majority. That is, students who belong to minority groups will form the majority of all the population by 2017-2018 school year. What this means to me and us, I believe, is that God still calls us to reach people who are different than we are. And that people who are different than we are have come from all over the world right in our county. And that we have a tremendous opportunity to make a difference in the lives of our county and region. That might be through volunteering in English as a second language in some of our schools. It might be helping in another way to communicate cross-culturally, to minister cross-culturally. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I was talking with Jody Seitz, the principal of Reams Road Elementary School, who's a member here not long ago, and she told me that in the er area around her school, where we have, by the way, a number of mentors and volunteers from this church helping, there are 14 different languages spoken. Right here in Chesterfield County, 14 different languages spoken. So there's a tremendous opportunity for us to minister to people just as the early church did. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thanks be to God that we have this opportunity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you decided to use regular, ordinary, imperfect people to do extraordinary things. Help us as we step forth in our giftedness through the Holy Spirit to understand how we are to do that. Some of us already know and are plugged in, but others are still exploring. God, you would help us to find that way of going and sharing. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's in the schools. Maybe it's in our community or in the workplace, in our teens, wherever that circle of influence might be, that you would lead us and help us to be bold and empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring about life change to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And the people said,